We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Shaunak Roy. Shaunak founded Yellow Dig in 2015. Yellow Dig is a community-driven, active, and experiential learning platform It is now used by hundreds of thousands of students of all ages and backgrounds in the U.S. and around the world. Shaunak graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering from IIT Bombay and completed his graduate studies at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Prior to founding Yellow Dig, he spent a decade advising global companies on technology, strategy, and growth. Welcome, Shaunak. Great to be here, Tonya. Great to connect. Shaunak and I tried to reschedule this several times, and so we're super excited to finally have this conversation and share this with all of you. So I'm curious how you moved from advising companies on technology strategy and growth into the education realm. You know, that's a great question, and I would say that was uh, definitely accidental. So for me, the motivation, I would say there are two motivations behind it. The one motivation about starting Yellow Dig was to become an entrepreneur, especially a technology entrepreneur, because one of my passions is to build digital products. This is my third company. My first company was when I was in my undergrad, uh, which was a failed startup, but I definitely learned a lot. After that, during my graduate studies, when I was in MIT, I started my second company, which was also slightly more successful, but not quite as successful. So this was my third swing at it. So definitely one part of my motivation was to finally become an entrepreneur. And the other part was I was quite curious about what's happening in the world of learning, especially as people were spending a lot more time in social media. If you think, and if you go back to 2015, 
back in those days, Facebook just had gone public, I think, in 2014. Uh, LinkedIn was growing rapidly, and there's some other platforms coming into the play. So I really thought that it's interesting that people are spending so much time in social media, and maybe there's something to learn from that trend that we can apply to learning. So all of that came together, and I started with Yellowing. I'm curious about the the failures of your first and second company. I think this is something that as entrepreneurs, we don't talk a lot about. Like I, I founded a marketing consulting company when I was pregnant with my daughter that failed miserably. I looked at founding a, a girl's sporting goods, like women's specific sporting goods store, which there are several of them out there now. I, I like to claim that I had that idea first, although it never really got off the ground. Can you share a little bit about kind of what happened with those failures before you found success? Yeah. So, you know, for me, the first startup, which was when I was in my undergrad, and then we used to have these business plan competition back in the days. They still happened, but they were quite a big trend back in the day. So me and a few of my friends, we decided to participate in one of them. And we thought initially that this is going to be just a idea competition, but we happened to win it. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it was good for us. It was a good boost of confidence. And so we thought that, okay, let's give it a try. And I would say we made probably all the mistakes that are possible in starting a company in terms of kind of really thinking about what kind of a product to build and how to build it and what's an MVP and how to get feedback from the market. Everything was a learning experience. We had no clue how to start a company. And on top of that, we didn't have the confidence. I mean, one of the things as you probably have seen Tony as that starting a company really requires to be confident in terms of being able to talk to other people, pitch your idea, maybe raise money, try to find customers. We didn't have those personalities. We were like shy engineering students in India in undergoing our undergrad. So I would say, and this is something I've you know spoken to some of my friends, is that that was probably one of the best decisions I made during my undergrad is to kind of go through that experience, which lasted about a year, year and a half. But it really tested us in every possible way. I don't think success was not even in the horizon, given so many mistakes we were making. But definitely, it was a huge learning experience for all of us. And the one that I did in, when I was in MIT, that was slightly different. It was a social venture. Um, I was quite interested to start a company which has uh, not only for profit, but it was uh, double bottom line. So it was a venture which had a very strong social angle to it which was all good, but the reality strike when I graduated, the business wasn't quite off the grounds by then. So I had to really pick, either become like unemployed and try to start a company or actually have a gainfully employed. So I chose the later. So this is what I did. And then reality happens in most people's lives. So, but long story short, I worked in the corporate world for about 10 years, had my savings, you know, build up the experience that I needed. And then Right about the 10-year mark, I kind of had my itch again. I said, you know what, maybe this is the third time I'll give it a try and make it happen. This one seems to be a lot more successful. Well, we are still alive after eight years, so I would say, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. far, so good. So how does the platform create a space for learner agency, for mastery? And you talked about it coming kind of in the advent of social media and learning, so also that connectedness. Yes, so in terms of, mastery or agency and connectedness. Uh, these three concepts, by the way, come together very nicely for some theory, which has been out there for a long time. It's called the self-determination theory or SDT. 
Um, I think there are a couple of uh, psychologists uh, who came up with this idea back in late 90s, early 2000s, and published a paper on this, where they really kind of dug into the, the reasons behind intrinsic motivation. And it so happens that people feel more motivated when they have agency, which is more freedom, when they are gaining mastery, which is they're learning new skills, and they also kind of feel that they're connected with other people. And by the way, this concept, even though we are trying to bring it into education, has been widely used in game, game design, which is why you would imagine why so many games are so addictive, because they are using these principles pretty much to a lot of success. But for whatever reason, we really haven't quite picked up these principles in education. And we are trying to do that uh, through Yellow Dig. So how are educators benefiting from using Yellow Dig? What does the platform really create or supply or help them develop? So what we essentially are doing is to make learning a lot more engaging for the students. If you see how learning is delivered across the board, and I would say there are exceptions for sure, but an average classroom hasn't changed for the last 100 years, where the preconceived notion is that learning happens best when the educators are delivering high-quality content um, or the lecture or whatever they're trying to teach. So the students who are trying to absorb that knowledge as you know, as effectively and as efficiently as possible. And we've tried that in so many different ways by long-form content, short-form content, and, you know, everything in between. But what really happens is that learning will only happen when the students are truly immersed into that learning, which is where, of course, you know, everybody's different, right? I mean, I might be interested in one subject and somebody else may not be interested in that subject. And even if I'm interested in the same subject, we may have very different interests. So how do we connect the dots between what we are trying to teach to how students are going to learn? And so what we essentially do is that we build communities. So that's the first thing we do, where every classroom that is using Yellowdig is actually learning together, where students have a lot more agency, where they can bring in concepts or ideas or things that they're reading in their private lives or through projects or whatnot into the classroom discussion and have conversations with one another, learn from one another so that they are starting to build mastery around it, so that any subject matter is not just one thing, but there are a variety of iterative conversation that happens between the students, between the instructors. It's essentially the framework of the inquiry-based learning, where people are not just learning, but they are trying to explore a topic together. And that's kind of the basic concept of Yellow Dig. Have you taken any courses on Yellow Dig? No, I'm not taken as a student, but we are always in those communities and try to understand how the behavior is happening. But uh, I have not taken a course, which is I am the student. Have you seen different courses on there? Or can you give an example of one that might have been well attended or is a really good example of good subject material or the way that a course was run online and kind of share that case study or example? Yeah. So, for example, I was just looking at a community where uh, this was a chemistry class. It was an organic chemistry class where in Yellow Dicks, you know, the teachers will come and they will share items that they want the students to read. It could be a topic. So there was lots of things that the student, the, the teachers were sharing. But then one student, I mean, she posted about uh, apple juice where uh, she wrote something like this, which is not, I'm pa paraphrasing that, hey, I'm sitting in a, dorm room and I find apple juice and I was really thinking that what is apple juice made out of. 
So she went to Google and, of course, looked up apple juice and it's made out of all sorts of acids, organic acids. So she starts writing about it in Yellowdig. And she says that, you know what, I've never paid attention to apple juice, but I'm so, you know, so uh, kind of surprised to know that there are only three compounds, which is carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. These are the three things which are there in apple juice. So she was like, oh, this is interesting. And then, you know, one of our like classmates will jump in and say, you know what, I've never tried apple juice, but I'm going to go and drink it tonight because you have made me more interested in apple juice. But these are the kind of conversation that happens in Yellowdick where the, it's not so much about the, the subject, which is what is organic chemistry. Of course, there are many materials available, but it's about how the students are starting to relate to what they're learning in the classroom to their real lives. And it could be examples like an apple juice. It could be anything, essentially. And, and that's the connection that happens in the other day. I'm super curious about the organic chemistry class. So are they using the platform more to collaborate and ask questions and talk through homework and outside of class, but actually meeting in person to do organic chemistry experiments and have a lab? I'm interested because it's typically a lab class and requires people to be together in person. So are they using it as alongside a typical in-person class or are they actually doing everything and like sending out experiments that you would do at home and then go through the chemistry and share back through the community? What does that look like for a very traditionally in-person class? Yeah, so I don't know exactly whether they had a lab and how exactly they were using Yellowdig in that context, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that typically what happens in these kind of courses when they're using Yellowdig is they do not change or the instructor would not change the basic course design. So if you have a lab, you know, you definitely would have a lab. And then if you are teaching in person once or twice a week, that doesn't change. Because we are not trying to change or remove synchronous engagement, which is so vital in learning, if those are part of the course design. But what ends up happening is that Yellowdig becomes like almost like a layer on top or wrap around the course where students will bring in concepts that they think that are relevant for the course, that they're coming across, could be through an experiment or could be something they read somewhere, and actually sharing it in this Yellowdick forum for this particular course and having engagement with one another. So what it really does is that it does not change the core part of the learning design, which is, I think, you know, we do not want to change without really a lot of thought, but it really brings in a new dimension which often does not happen. Like if you think about discussions around a course topic, it does not happen in a classroom. That it's very rare. It, even if it happens, it's only much time. You have only you know half an hour, an hour to kind of really talk about the course topic. So we are using this twenty four seven time frame to actually have discussion around that class. How did you come to find a need for this? You were working in corporate America. You. We are working with global companies. You've had a couple of less than extraordinarily successful entrepreneurship ideas while you were in school. Is there a story or a moment in time that you thought, wow, I can shift education or there's something here that's really missing and here's how I can change that and really drove you to create Yellow Dig? It's a great question. You know, I would say the basic kernel of this idea came when I was in consulting. I worked with a couple of consulting companies, uh, Booz Allen, Hamilton, and others, 
And I, I could see that, you know, as a consultant, you're always learning about new things. So my job would be to go to a client and then understand their problems, then come back to the office or to my home and do a lot of research. Could be about industry, could be a product. The questions would be like, should we enter this market? Or is this technology valid for us to add? All sorts of, like, you can imagine business questions that clients were asking. And I could see that for me to learn around those industries, I was doing A, I was either do a lot of research on the web. You know, you can go to YouTube and find almost anything on YouTube. And YouTube was still in the early stages. And of course, you know, social media was just kind of developing. But I could see the value of that. The other thing I would do is that I'll go to my some of my colleagues or my friends and ask them the same question. Because they may have a better answer. They may have already gone through that in the past. And I saw that new dynamic. I was not really sitting in a classroom to learn about those topics. And these were very important things for me to learn quickly. So I could see that as the world is changing so fast and we have this internet, which is a tremendous database of knowledge, bringing that into the learning process is very pretty powerful. So my first idea when I started was to create Yellowdig. And I actually spoke to one of the companies I was working with and said that, do you want to use the platform where your marketing team or your sales team can always learn from one another, you know, share knowledge with one another because things are so dynamic, you won't find the same information, even if you go to a classroom or go to a university. And it so happened that companies were quite removed from learning design and learning discovery. And I went to some universities, I had some contacts through my friend circle to go to talk to some professors and and they said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I'm trying to do some of that in my classroom. And I'm trying to engage my students on current affairs so that they have more peer-to-peer -peer engagement. And it's very hard to do. So I thought that this might be an interesting way for me to launch the platform into university. So that's how it all got started back in the days. And it has evolved. Like, you know, this concept, which was a pretty radical idea to a lot of instructors saying, why do we need this kind of a social or connected learning experience? To tell you a story, like, you know, Arizona State University, which is one of our earliest clients when I started back in the days, they were experimenting with us with about three courses, three or four courses. They kind of tried this concept. And long story short, now we have over 80,000 students using us there. Pretty much a lot of courses have picked it up, which is this whole new idea, which is like you can learn together by really sharing knowledge with one another. And it completely complements. Like if you have a textbook, use that. If you have material created by the professor, use that too. We're not going to change any of that. All we do is to create an environment for the students to be more active and engaged. So I, th I think it kind of all the dots came together over the years, but there was no like one thing that we were solving for. It, it was a very iterative process, as you would imagine. Yeah. How interesting that you started out talking to corporate teams and saying, hey, could this be a way that you could learn together and connect and share information? And for them to say, no, you know, we don't really do that. <laughs> and then to be able to move into the education space and really see, like, this is where people are learning and this is where they're developing. And you'd hope that in their corporate space, those teams are still learning and developing and growing. But how there was really a need for that, especially in higher education. Uh, you know, I like to always say that higher education is a, a really rich ground innovation. Because sometimes what happens is, you know, learning technologies has to go through a lot of stages and gates in terms of research and make sure that it's actually working. Um, you know, we partner with universities who have actually taken our data and done a whole bunch of research on our platform to see if this works or not. And that was very helpful for us. 
because those kind of research or those interactions gave us a, gave us a lot of ideas around how to build the platform more. This won't have, have happened in corporate because we won't get that feedback loops, right? They're not people who are dedicating themselves in teaching and learning. So I think there is a lot of cross-pollination that can happen between higher education and corporate, especially in the coming years, I feel, because a lot of innovation is already happening in higher education or starting to happen, which can all get moved up to corporate over the years. Is there a piece of advice or a piece of knowledge that you can share for someone who might have an idea or want to be an entrepreneur or want to start an ed tech type product, but doesn't really know where to start? So I think if it's an ed tech type products, I would say uh, my advice would be slightly different than it's a tech product. Because I think I have come to realize that education is very unique. And <laughs> a lot of principles, uh, you know, as you would imagine, right, that applies to a traditional tech company would not apply to an ed tech company. Like, for example, if you're studying an education, just a technology company, it's primarily around a need that you have to identify in the market and make sure that the need is valid and then build a product, maybe early version of the product to test the need and make sure the need is there and then scale from there. But for education, I think it's important to have a clear idea how the product is going to work in the educational landscape. Because in every product like Yellowdick, for example, it's just not a product that we are fitting a need because it impacts how people learn. And without that, a deeper understanding around how people learn, I mean, these kind of products are very hard to be successful because, you know, without that impact. So having that mindset definitely helps. This is how I'll think about the team design. Uh, hiring people from academia who has that background is important. If you're a technology founder, I understand tech, but I need people who truly understand learning design or psychology or can really think about how, what's the learning impact that's going to happen. Or if you're an educator, then really think about the technology side, but it all has to come together for it to be successful. So my, my basic advice would be start small, try to really hone on the product and see the value, make sure that it's working and having a true learning impact before really thinking about sales, marketing, and anything else. Because I've seen plenty of examples where people have spent a huge amount of money sales and marketing, but the product never went anywhere. So that, that's a big thing in education, which I would definitely want to make sure that anybody starting in this space, exciting space, a lot of things are happening here, but just to be a little careful early on. Make sure that things are aligned. Make sure that you have both the tech side and the academia side connected and that you're really filling a need in a niche that is needed and people are looking for. Exactly. Shona, can you share a story with us that you remember from your elementary school years? I founded an elementary school, and so I love hearing about what people remember from their earliest years of school. You know, my memory is that I used to be a difficult kid when I was really young. It was very hard for me to focus on anything. I was slightly dyslectic, if you know what it means, uh, back in the days, and I used to be very visual in my approach to learning. So one of my earliest memory was that I'll sit in the back bench and I'll scribble and all sorts of sketches as teacher is teaching something. And I'll kind of get defocused into outside, look at the window and stuff like that, but not really focus on what the teacher is teaching. So I do remember some incidents from then, like things happened, like, I, you know, I got something, I got called on because this happened and things like that. So 
It was interesting. You know, I, I would say uh, that actually gave me some motivation to start Yellow Day because I, I do believe that learning is also where your imagination has to connect with what you're trying to learn and, and a good way of turning your imagination into what you're trying to, you know, what, what you're trying to learn and you have to having a lot of say in what, what you are learning. So like being able to express yourself, which is uh, important to me. Um, you know, for example, in our platform, you can, when you're writing a post, I mean, we see you can write something or you can make a video or you can record yourself or you can draw a picture or you can scribble something. Everything is possible uh, so that you can express the best possible way. And and yeah, I mean, again, I'm kind of going back to how Yellowdick is being designed. But yeah, early on, I do remember that it was a slightly interesting early primary experience for myself. I wasn't somebody who would sit in a classroom and you know listen to a lecture for 45 minutes and just be very quiet, but I'll get wandered around all the time. That's great. It's the daydreamers that make things happen, right? The ones that are looking out the window and aren't fully present because whatever's happening is just isn't and is engaging enough to hold our attention. Yeah. So then we we as educators now in the classroom, for for those of you that are in the classroom, like how how can we make those classes engaging and exciting? to make sure that our learning is happening. And, and in your words, Janek, learning is, is where your imagination connects with expression. And how can we help that happen for all of our students so that they can go on to create amazing things? Yes, absolutely. And look, I mean, the other thing is that this whole education system that we have designed has a very important purpose, which is to create people who has basic knowledge you know, in a variety of areas, right, which is how we have designed our systems for a long time. And it has worked pretty well for a long time. But if, if you're really now optimizing for creativity, imagination, people who are going to create the future, because, you know, let's take it like AI and other things are going to do a lot of automated work. So a lot of the work is going to come down in terms of really creating things which didn't exist. We really have to think about the, what kind of skills are we going to build in the new generation. And I think it's really going to be very helpful because this is going to put some pressure on the existing learning design and the school design and everything that goes around it and really kind of question that how do we engage the minds better in a way which is joyful. And the other word I love to use is joyful learning, which is, you know, sometimes when I have discussions around learning, we talk about skills development as if like, you know, we are programming a child. I mean, it never happens like that, right? It's completely the other way. So um, so how do we really make learning much more real for people where they, they do something and they see things happen? And then, of course, in the, in, in the physical world, it's like being in a lab or trying to do different things or tinkering with things, which we know very well. But there's a huge digital world now where you can make things happen. You know, Roblox or Minecraft, all these games are already using some of these techniques. So I, 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 that is why kind of going back to the game design, I do believe that if we can be a little more imaginative and creative in using these digital technologies to build learning experiences that are engaging and joyful, I think there's a tremendous value there. All these issues around retention, students not motivated, a lot of this is going to go out of the window when we do this. And it's ready because young kids, adults, everybody is digitally engaged now. It's a matter of creating those environments. So the potential is there. There are a lot of entrepreneurs can build a lot of companies here. It's hard, as you know, but I think the possibilities are here. 
It leads me to a question that I actually haven't asked a guest in a really long time, but I'm really curious to hear your answer about this one, is that if you were going to design your idea of the utopian school for the future, what would that look like? I would say that, you know, we need to think about what is the outcome that we're looking for, right? Before we even think about what is the design of that school. And the outcome, I would say, is joy. Because unless students, you know, from a very early age to, we have now students who are 18, 90 years old, like we're retired, but still want to come and learn something new, which is also new and which is great for us, is finding joy in what they're learning. If it's not joyful, it's just going to be failing and it only depends on how many kind of ways we can try to plug the holes and make sure that people feel coddled and happy and people will never be happy. So I, th- I think joyful is such an important thing. And if they're really joyful, you don't want to do much. They're go- they going to be lifelong learners where they are going to learn new things all the time because they found that joy in it. And unfortunately, I feel a lot of our learning experiences are not joyful. They may be rooted in many things, but it's just not creating that emotion in people or students. So my utopian school would be a joyful design where the first thing I want to measure is, is every activity is joyful. And then try to see that, okay, what people want to learn. Of course, there has to be learning paths where if I want to be an engineer, but I end up learning everything else and not to be an engineer, maybe it's not good for me. Maybe there are ways we can guide people to their true potential or true interest. And that might also change over time as they get more into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not so much about processes and systems, but really hacking into the psychology of people and and try to see that we are optimizing for human emotion, joyful learning, those kind of things. And I do also believe that digital is a big impact because all you have to do is look at games. Like when kids are playing games all the time. I have two daughters. And if they're into games, like I have to fight with them to get them off the games. And that shows that they're so happy playing those games with their friends. Why is that education have to be any different from that? Like, I think that's where we need to start and really design around it and see what is needed. And my guess is that not a lot outside of truly designing, engaging learning experiences, which could be primarily online, but then also in person, right? I'm not saying it should live an online world, but a lot of that could be online, but then come to the school and do experiments, like be in labs, create stuff, those kind of things. So I don't know if that is kind of an answer you're looking for, but kind of what I'm thinking. I had no preconceived notion of what your answer would be. <laughs> it's an open-ended question, but it is similar to a lot of what I hear when, when I've asked that question in the past. And it's really, you know, you took it to a place of having an outcome of joy and as running a school. Joy is something that's really important to us and that our kids come to school happy. They want to be here. They're excited to be here. Like our kids get upset when there's a school break because they don't want to not be in school. They want to be here. They want to learn. They want to be with their friends. They're excited. Like that's kind of core for us. And and as I talk to so many other people, it's how do we build those relationships in our schools? And as you mentioned earlier, our schools were really created in an industrial age and they haven't changed in a hundred years. And how do we shift that to not be an industrial model of just pushing kids through, but to really creating experiences that create joy, create connection, create mastery for our students? Yeah, I think it's a great answer. Thank you. How can people get in touch with you? 
if you want to learn about our company, Yellowdig, you, you just go to yellowdig.co and you, you should be able to get in touch with us right from there. If you want to learn more about our product, there are a lot of case studies that we have put in our website, so you can check it out. And if you want to get in touch with me, um, I would say the best is LinkedIn. You can go to LinkedIn and search my name. I should come up pretty easily. And yeah, happy to connect with you there. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, Shanuk. This has been great. Thanks so much, Tonya. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com, where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com, where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.